I'm Zach. I'm a musician, a former worship leader. I helped destroy Mars Hill Church, and I'm not really sure what I believe anymore. I'm Dave. I'm an occasional preacher, a Bible theology nerd, a movie buff, and an evangelical. Oh, and I think, actually, we pre-recorded the rest of Dave's. So, here we go. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father God, for putting me through what you put me through, but I'm here and I'm happy. <laughs> um, I just want to... Oh, here we go. Okay, uh, the studio, I love you, and Cameron Crow and... Uh, okay, Tom that's Cruise. enough, Dave. All right, okay. Yeah, we, we got to get on with this show. Sorry, 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 Dave. Okay. I met Kuba Goody Jr. downtown Spokane. Veterans of Culture Wars is a podcast where we talk about the beliefs, history, culture, and personal stories from evangelical Christianity. But sometimes, since we have a podcast and we can do whatever we want, we maybe take a break from talking exclusively about evangelical Christianity, and we can just talk about movies. Right, Zach? We have a veterans hall. We can show some movies here. Yeah. We can have a good time. puppet shows. (laughs) So... Um, we thought we would bring a special guest back, a returning guest, uh, to talk about movies with us because we thought it would be fun. Uh, movies from last year that we admired, that spoke to us, um, that you know maybe spiritually impacted us to some extent. Uh, who do we have here as a guest to talk with us about these things? Yeah, yeah, we have uh, our, our friend Jeffrey Overstreet, a uh, professor at Seattle Pacific University and a longtime culture uh, writer, critic, and author. Uh, He has has written extensively about movies over the years, uh, from his his movie-going memoir, Through a Screen Darkly, to his contributions to to various outlets. Uh, If if you are or have been a believer who likes movies, you've probably read some of his writing about them. Um, Welcome back to the show. Jeffrey. Or you may have sent me some some hate mail or rage mail <laughs> at some point too. That's that's likely. Thanks for having me back. Uh, it's a, an honor and a privilege always. Uh, I really love what you guys do here. Um, it's a conversation that needs to keep happening. So thank you for giving it a platform. And thank and you. I just wanted to real quick when I was looking up uh, Oscar play play him off the speech is getting too long music. I I just happened to come across in skipping through this YouTube video this very timely little moment for today that i think you'll appreciate and i'd also like to thank doug tremble who started me in this business thank you to a thank you to to former director and uh visual effects genius douglas tremble uh i don't recall who's actually giving the thank you but that's from an oscar ceremony but but he he just died or we we read the news that he died today i think is when it was announced right uh, yeah, it sort of blew up on Twitter for a while, and I was waiting and waiting for, you know, one of those, an, an actual reputable publication to come out with the report. And I think I, I first noticed it uh, in the Hollywood Reporter uh, as a as a reliable report, and that was very disappointing. I was hoping that was not the case, because I, I would like to see more images created by that that guy. He was a wizard. He, he really was. I, I uh, 
Actually, I remember, <laughs> I think one of my first online interactions with, with you was correcting you on which Trumbull you were referring to. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think because, uh, what was it? Wow. His father was Donald Trumbull. They, they both worked in visual effects. And it was probably something about the Tree of Life. It probably because, was. Uh, Terrence Malick's film, which came out a few years ago, started production back in the 70s and one of the first things he did was task douglas trumbull with creating uh, a bunch of evocative imagery that he could use for that opening sequence of of you know the birth of the cosmos or whatever um and and a lot of that footage from the 70s was still used in in the finished film when it came out a few years ago so well i mean and so many movies too right i mean blade runner close encounters of the third kind um he just he had a way of inspiring awe um when i show the tree of life in my film and faith class i invite um uh, i invite one of our uh, spu science professors to uh, come to class and talk about the processes involved in creating the images in the tree of life and he's he gets oh, very cool. poetic about how by filming things on a microscopic level that's the best, you know, one of the most profound ways to illustrate what was happening on a cosmic level um, as the, as stars were formed and galaxies were formed. Um, and he, he pursues that into kind of a, a poetic monologue about uh, truth and about how, what, what God is saying on a macro level, God is saying on a micro level. So it's, uh, that's always an interesting night. Uh, and we get to put Trumbull on the big screen. I love that film. That sounds like a really fascinating class. How, um, when you show that movie to your students, how is that generally received by students who are, you know, 18, 19, 20? I'm just curious how they, are most of them kind of blown away by it? Does it foster really good discussion? The whole class is designed over 10 weeks to prepare them to see that for the first time. Oh, uh, wow. So okay. we've been incrementally approaching it. If I just threw them into the tree of life, they would probably quickly withdraw from the class. <laughs> um, few, few of them have seen a film that, that speaks through visual poetry in such sophisticated ways as any, any Terrence Malick film, really. Um, I'm, I'm actually a bigger fan of, of the new world um, when it comes to Malick movies than the tree of life, but I love the tree of life. And I, uh, so we watch, Babette's Feast, we watch Wings of Desire, we watch Kieslowski's uh, Three Colors Blue, um, we watch uh, Sisako's Timbuktu, uh, sort of learning uh, different vocabularies that I think sort of all come together in Kieslowski, and, and I think he's clearly influenced by some of those films. Uh, it's not like he just showed up with this all by himself. Um, and once in a while, I think one of the most rewarding things I get out of that class is in an evaluation if a student says, looking back, I can see the strategy. You know, that's always, <laughs> always gratifying. Um, but I need help when it comes to the conversation about the tree of life. So I'm always calling on other faculty members to come in and offer perspectives on it from different disciplines. And that really opens the movie up in an exciting way. I'm always learning, seeing more in it than I've seen before. Hmm. I'm wondering uh, how your your students uh, have responded to films this year. I know when we talked to you last year, well, one, uh, movie theaters were still closed. Um, and and uh, two, uh, you, you, you said that they 
had a stronger response to a quiet place than any movie any contemporary movie that you could think of that they really loved a quiet place uh yeah. i saw you bring that up online today actually and, and having reread re a, a a piece about it because you weren't actually the biggest fan of the movie that that wasn't one you were showing in class but they came no. <laughs> saying they were excited about that and i'm wondering what uh what films resonated with them this year what are they talking about what what has excited them they uh they're all talking about don't look up uh you know so they're one of the best picture nominees that's i'm always watching i'm always kind of taking the temperature of the class when it comes to movies that have actually been playing in theaters recently because they don't go to theaters unless it's marvel or disney um, mostly marvel or uh the occasional horror film that comes along that has enough of a gimmick or enough of a a hook i suppose sometimes literally um they will <laughs> they will get excited about that and go because it's more like an amusement park ride you know than than going to see a work of art and so um, I, I'm always watching for those that enough of them have seen that I can rely on it as a pop culture reference. I used to think I could rely on Wes Anderson films, not anymore. Um, I can rely on them having seen Marvel films. I cannot rely on them having seen Star Wars films. Those are dad movies now. And they, they, <laughs> more and more, there are students in the class who have never seen a Star Wars film. Um, they right. might know The Mandalorian, Um but uh, surprisingly, when I made a reference to Don't Look Up the other day, half the class sort of suddenly woke up. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's huh. sad uh, on one level. Very. But anyway, um, well, have any yeah, of us interested seen in the that. climate? I, I haven't. I, I haven't. It's, it's one of two Best Picture nominees I have not seen. Yeah, I, me too. I haven't seen it either because I read the reviews and I was like, this is the kind of heavy-handed satire that usually has me rolling my eyes. But now that I can see that the students want to talk about the relationship between this movie and climate change, I'm like, well, kind of reminds me of what Flannery O'Connor said about, well, no, I'm not, I don't want to say this. I have to say this carefully, because if I say this the wrong way, it's going to sound demeaning uh, about my students. She says that, you know, to the hard of hearing, you have to shout. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying my students are hard of hearing. But they are tuned into the issue of climate change, and they're also tuned into Jennifer Lawrence <laughs> and uh, Leo DiCaprio, and uh, maybe others who show up in that film. Yeah, what do you think about? I, it has I, a it has a massive massive cast, and yeah, this is weird because I can I can speak to this, and I think you guys have probably seen more movies than me in 2021. I have seen Don't Look Up streaming on Netflix, and um, they got a. A brilliant marketing. I thought you strategy. said you didn't see all of it, though. I, I saw the whole thing. Oh, I, okay. Yeah. Okay. I've I've seen all of Don't Look Up. All it's like two and a half hours long, which <laughs> that is one of the problems I think for what they're trying to do. It is it becomes a slog to get through. I think for Doctor Strangelove. Doctor Strangelove is what like ninety minutes, and that's the movie it's right. compared to. Yeah, yeah I, well, I I see it compared to Christian see... movies. Yeah, uh, uh, the, <laughs> that's the, true because too. you know it's like we're going to hit you with the message. Like, like mm -hmm. it almost seems like, like when the movie ends, um, um, Adam McKay stepped up behind the screen and, and it's going to say, now we all had a lot of fun there, didn't we? But that doesn't matter. None of that matters because what we're here tonight for, you know, like the, <laughs> the, the bands that have to stop the music in order to do the altar call and announce that none of their music is important at all. If nobody, uh, if anybody in this crowd is going to hell. Um, but, yeah, Jeffrey had it. Jeffrey had it right when he called it heavy-handed satire. I think I think that's the it's it's somebody that 
is reminding you of the theme by like beating you over the head like every you know running minute of the movie and it's just it just becomes a slog i mean i remember for the first 45 minutes i didn't think it was necessarily great but i was kind of wondering 45 minutes in i'm like yeah this is kind of interesting you know maybe the critics got this wrong but then for you know the rest of the running time when you see it it kind of goes into I think at that point, if I'm remembering right, more media criticism of like how the media covers things. And there's so much about that that really is eye roll, eye roll inducing. And it just doesn't really work, at least to me. And that's been done. It's been done well so many times before, too. And by Adam, by Adam McKay. I mean, I think. Right. Anchorman is one of my favorite comedies uh, because great, because it never gets heavy handed. It never takes things so seriously that it loses that sense of play. Yeah, just, yeah, freewheeling joy. This is just a real, and that's, yeah, tonally, it doesn't really know what it wants to be. That That's another problem, just tone shifts. And going into, you know, he tries to satirize so many different things. Like it becomes not just about climate change, but he has stuff about ex-evangelicals. I actually kind of like that scene. I think some other people, um, uh, there's an ex-evangelical played by uh, Timothy Chalamet, which is kind of an interesting character. I mean, I gave it like three out of five stars that, you know, maybe that's kind of generous, but there were, like I said, the beginning was sort of interesting. There were some things that worked for me, but it is definitely not a, a best picture worthy movie. And and, 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 and like to, to be clear, like you're somebody that for the most part is like politically like aligned with the stance you could say of the movie, like, like you're not resisting it on on political grounds here. You're no. part of the choir essentially, and you're like, yeah, yeah I, I get it. <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely. Climate change. Uh, you know, the science tells us that it's it's a threat. It's out there. It's a serious issue. Um, but you know, I saw someone on Twitter. I can't keep. I can't take credit for this. But somebody said this is God's not dead for liberals. Yeah. Just like you were yeah. saying back, like it's, it's the, it's the preachy. It, it is better than God's not dead. I can definitely tell you that God's not dead. It's a really, really awful movie. Um, but it's, it's not best picture worthy at all. Now, now one that is, I mean, like I have not seen, don't look up yet. I, I do intend to see it now that it's been nominated for an Oscar. I, I try to see all the major uh, nominees. Um, Me too. <laughs> and, <laughs> but what you were saying about like, tonally all over the place mm-hmm. um that's how i felt about one of the other well two of the other nominees but in particular belfast mm-hmm. which seems like that's been gaining a lot of momentum lately like it's it's expanded like like it was in theaters for a bit and then was gone and now i'm seeing new listings of it again i think people are really enjoying it i i that to me i felt was sort of a classic oscar bait sort of thing where it's very pretty it's very nice to look at yeah but i feel like it's tonally just a complete mess uh and i felt like like all the van morrison songs i felt like they didn't fit at all and was wondering if they just like had a contract with van to just like put whatever he sent them or like didn't want to turn him down or something because they liked him too much because I I don't know why you would choose to put those songs in but one of them got nominated for best original song so what do I know? But one of my fa- I- one of my favorite critics, Victor Morton, is actually um, 
really excited about the Van Morrison songs and, and thinks that's one of the, the best things about the film. I was just too busy trying to reconcile the sort of sugary sweet cuteness the, the film is so in love with its cherubic uh child yeah. actor and um a, a kind of sentimentality that to some extent is understandable because it is Branagh looking back on his childhood and trying to tell you a story through the eyes of a child but it's it, it, in a way it's part of the same problem i had with jojo rabbit where the the the, the cuteness tone the sort of wes anderson children's tone uh, in juxtaposition with the real world violence, uh, just didn't didn't work for me. Um, I felt I, I just kept getting sort of emotional whiplash being dragged back and forth between those two points of view so that the, the conflict, the, the troubles never really uh, hit the way they should. And once again, you have the problem of too many other films about this having been made. I've seen you know, all of Jim Sheridan's films about this, which are wonderful and harrowing at times. And it, it just kind of made this feel like the Hallmark movie about the troubles. Yeah, I thought of I thought of uh, Hallmark with another one uh, with Coda. Okay, Wa- yeah. watch, watching that to me very I, I I got real Lifetime vibes. That was another one that I thought it seemed like a Christian movie. Uh, it it um yeah, I just found that one to be very frustrating. Dave, you liked it quite a bit more than me, but. I felt like the the comedy didn't hit. I felt like at some point it just felt like an an extra special episode of Glee. Um and and there was just weird character things that made no sense to me. So so we needed to establish that like for some reason her deaf parents can't understand why anybody could ever enjoy music and pursue it and find it to be a compelling part of life. Um and she has a friend that they connect because his parents also look down on his musical interest, but it's like, he wants to learn to play acoustic guitar and they're like classical musicians that say it's not a real string instrument. And I'm just like, who says that? <laughs> like, like, I don't, I don't believe in this world or these characters at all. So I, I was, I, I, I could never get over my suspension of disbelief with that world at all. So I'm just going to run down real quick the, the the list of Best Picture nominees. Several of them we all really enjoyed and we can talk a little bit about. And then we can go and over. You, we should, uh, yeah, we should mention we're recording this the night after the Oscar nominations came out. Uh, right. That was yesterday. Yeah. Tuesday, yeah. February 8th. So people will hear this a week after. But okay. yes. Yeah, so, so, so Belfast sounds like we, uh, Dave, did you see that one? I have not. He has not. Okay. Coda, I know you saw that. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't look up. Uh, none of. Uh, sorry, Dave. We just we just talked about that. Drive my car. I just got to see that over the weekend. Um, I liked that quite a bit. Um, yeah, me too. I think both of us were somewhat under underwhelmed with the visuals of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was pretty plain in its presentation. Um, but as many people have said, I I really uh, it's it seems silly, but the opening credits hitting at like 50 minutes in um there's there's something that just i i was very much into that no i have <laughs> I not like, seen you gotta it be are you serious me. yeah so it's almost yes. an hour in when it's like yeah drive my like, car and has the yeah. star names on there <laughs> it's basically it's an act break <laughs> for right. the credits They're like all right act one is over let's just do credits now <laughs> sure nice. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of any movie that comes anywhere close. Raising Arizona does it about 10 minutes in. Yeah, it, uh, it feels like longer than 10 because they pack so oh, it's, much it's into it. It's a lot that. longer. It's at least 20 minutes into the film. Yeah, yeah that's that's what I was thinking. Um, so after that, uh, Dune, which I, I saw that a couple times. I, I took my son to it after after I'd seen it once. I've seen it um, four times. I love it. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't I haven't watched many films multiple times this year, and that was one of them. And uh, I thought I enjoyed it even more the second time. I, I I really enjoyed that one. King Richard. I have not seen. Have either of you seen that one? Yes, I, have I have seen. Yep. I. <laughs> it's a I biopic, it's, so it's it's, it's it, tough. Yeah. Right. It's a it's a, you know, it's a pretty typical biopic. I I think I, you know, kind of sort of liked it. I I may have given it three you know, three stars, three and a half stars. Um, Will Smith is always fun as a performer. Um, I My real issue with it is I think they are making King Richard himself, which is the father of Venus and Serena Williams, out to be a complicated character. One of the complexities of his character to me is like he's this patriarch who really controls his family and he had a plan in place to make Venus and Serena the greatest tennis players in the world, right? And I, this is told fictionally, so I don't know how much of this is actually a true story, but obviously they do become some of the greatest tennis players ever in the world. And I think just the troubling thing is the film doesn't really deal with that moral tension of, you know, how much say do Venus and Serena kind of get in what they want to do and, and their own volition and I think it's, you know, it, it's a movie that needs, and I'm sure it's out there, I haven't found it yet, but feminist criticism of kind of what it's, you know, what it's saying and what it's going for, because that really was bothersome. I think they could have gotten into that issue and made it a little more complex and nuanced. You know, that was kind of a troubling aspect of it for me. Yeah, I think I think so. That, that it, it makes some moves to... Uh, find some flaws in this character and to critique him on some counts. Um, it makes uh, the character of his wife um, very forceful and um, refusing to let him uh, compromise. And yet it still feels so designed to get Will Smith that overdue Oscar, right? Um, it, 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 so, so many scenes are, are, carefully wrapped around a big emotional moment for him. Uh, some people have called it a Forrest Gumpy kind of performance. Um, that kind of stunt acting is just uh, really distracting to me. So I, I only felt drawn into the film when it focused on the girls. They were mm -hmm. um, both, both remarkable uh, in their roles. Uh, I found them very compelling. Uh, but whenever the camera swiveled back to Will Smith, as it as it always did, I mean, it, it really did start to feel like a two-hour-long Oscar highlight reel for him. And I won't be surprised if he wins. Uh, he's been nominated several times, um, and some people think he should have gotten it for Ali many years ago. Um, but uh, it's it's just a little too predictable for me on this one, and and not my idea of sophisticated acting. Mm -hmm. he, let's see he's up against javier bardem in being the G ricardos which was one of the m most mediocre movies i've i saw all year i think i think he was miscast uh benedict cumberbatch for the power of the dog which i imagine all of us quite enjoyed um andrew garfield and tick tick boom and denzel washington and the tragedy of macbeth 
Um, like, like I said, we, you know, I, I, I don't care about the, the predicting who's going to win thing or whatever, but, but it was surprising for Ted to, to hear you say, you think he might win it just, just cause uh, at least looking at these Benedict Cumberbatch and the power of the dog was so good. <laughs> All I can do with the Oscars is root for the ones that I, that I think were the most moving, the most artful. Uh, so I have no idea who's, who's winning the votes. But yeah, boy, I think Benedict probably has great. a <laughs> Benedict probably has a shot. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. he's been nominated before, and it's a it's a really good movie. So yeah, yeah, that that would be that that would make sense to me. I'm I mean, of course, I'm always hurting for the ones that I loved that got overlooked. And uh, <clears throat> Nick Cage. Yeah, yeah I'd love to. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen Nick Cage get nominated for one of one of his greatest performances in Pig. Yeah, uh, but we'll definitely I, spend some time on that. Yeah. yeah, I also think Joaquin Phoenix's performance in "Come On, Come On" is is his finest. Um, oh, wow! It's, wow! It's, it's the it's the one that seems least attention grabbing. Uh, I'm I believed in this character more than any of his other characters. I think his his performance in "The Master" is is far more complicated and demanding, and um, I, I guess in some senses his his greatest work because it's it's the nobody else could have done what he did there but but come on come on is so contrary to his typical kind of film this is a really lovable three-dimensional human character uh an uncle running around the country with his nephew in this really beautiful relationship and the, we so rarely see grown men in admirable relationships with their families and especially with children that, that that movie, I was just sort of in awe that that it, that it exists at all, and um, he it, it really made me want to see Joaquin Phoenix start going for roles that are as far from the Joker as he can find, because uh, he's <laughs> he's very good at sincere, warm-hearted characters. Yeah, I I get reminded of 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 Jeff Bridges sometimes with Joaquin Phoenix, where I don't sure. really pick up any vanity in his performances um he just goes for the heart of the character um so so purely that i i i really enjoy watching him and and it took a while for me to to pick up on that with him actually but um one from a few years ago that i really liked him in was uh don't worry he won't get far on foot i still haven't seen that one uh about the cartoonist, right? Yeah, he, he played a, a cartoonist that became uh, a paraplegic uh, after a, a, a car wreck, I believe. Uh, it's been a, a while since I've seen it, but uh, his alcoholism <laughs> led to his condition. Um, That's Gus Van Sant, right? Yes. Yeah, and I think it was filmed in Portland. Um, yeah, it's about he, John Callahan, who, yes. who is a cartoonist. I I remember laughing at a lot, laughing at his work a lot when I was in high school. Uh, he was a very subversive uh, comedian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I remember, he's like his AA group. Uh, Kim Gordon from Sonic Youth plays plays one of the members of his group, and uh, Beth Ditto from the Gossips. So there's there's some interesting musical connections there, but yeah, I I, I thought that was a, a nice little film as well. Um, so the next one on the nominees list is Licorice Pizza, uh, which Jeffrey, you and I saw that together. Yeah. A um, lot of high hopes for that. A um, lot of moments in it that we mm-hmm. both really enjoyed. But I think 
you may feel a little bit differently now, but when we walked out of that and we're talking, it was sort of a, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I can see myself like revisiting that world again. Um, but it was a very fully realized world. Absolutely. It's very, very personal. I mean, it's, it's reminded, it reminded me a lot of a lot of big warm hearted personal films for like Cameron Crowe. There's a lot of almost famous in licorice pizza. Yeah. Uh, but there are so many other films that influence Paul Thomas Anderson in this film. And yet it's also the one closest to his childhood and his memories um, so as far as that goes, it feels very truthful. Um, I just didn't find the two characters at the heart of it particularly, um, I didn't find their relationship particularly compelling or even pleasant to be around, I, you know, the way they sort of brought out some of the worst aspects of themselves. And so I, did, I found it very difficult to root for them. At the same time, it, it's, it's setting this story in a world that's so messed up. Uh, you'd be happy for them to find any kind of love or any kind of lifeline to help them get through it until they until they get out of there uh and so it, it, feel, it felt more like a romantic comedy about survival in harsh circumstances than than a than a swoon worthy romance or anything like that but I, I don't know anderson is one of my favorite uh favorite filmmakers and uh this is maybe the first time i, I found a really difficult time connecting with the central storyline all of the surrounding characters were interesting there's lots of funny hijinks going on but it might be one of those i just need to see a few times um lauren wilford wrote a really wonderful commentary googling that right now <laughs> yeah yeah on letterboxd and yeah. uh, she made me want to see it again um so yeah we'll see maybe yeah, we'll, we'll link to that in the show notes uh lauren wilford uh, normally writes for bright while dark room and had just posted some of her thoughts on on letterboxd rather uh, about the film that ended up getting shared around quite a bit. And, and yeah, they, they really were lovely. I guess this is Lauren Wilford day for me because in my academic writing class today, my students and I read an essay by Lauren on, um, on vertigo and, oh, okay. and, and studied it for craft, studied nice. it for her rhetorical strategies. Um, she's doing some amazing work and uh, she doesn't write nearly enough as far as I'm concerned. Uh, she's one of the best writers out there on film right now. So Wonderful. The uh, the next one, which we briefly touched on, is is Nightmare Alley. So I think I'm the only one here who had seen that. I have not seen it. I guess so. And we we were talking about that before recording. Oh, so. before recording. Okay. Yep. Yeah, Nightmare Alley, the 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 latest from Guillermo del, del Toro, who always has such a strong visual sense to everything that he does, and this this certainly didn't lack for that. Have you seen the uh, the original? Old black and white noir, uh, Jeffrey. No, nope, no, no. It's on the Criterion Channel, and I, I, I've been meaning to catch up with it. Um, hopefully, in the next couple of weeks, because I want to see it before I see this film. Uh, but I, I was a huge Del Toro fan back when The Devil's Backbone came out, which is one of my favorite ghost story movies, and it's probably still my favorite Del Toro film. Uh, there's so much to love about Pan's Labyrinth um, that sparked such interesting conversations about. Um, overlaps that, that great the, the great J.R.R. Tolkien C.S. Lewis conversation about uh, correlations between pagan mythology and and Christianity um, and and Pan's Labyrinth opened up so many great opportunities to to take that conversation another step um, I love his love of practical effects and I think that he sort of peaked with that in uh, Hellboy 2 the Golden Army which is a 
just a circus of fun and maybe the, the best Ron Perlman has ever been. But the movies have seemed more and more heavy handed and the storylines more simplistic as far as setting up a, like a religious bad guy and having the, uh, having the free spirited good guys find some way to spectacularly shame and defeat him. And that really turned me off to The Shape of Water, um, which won Best Picture, as we were talking about earlier. And I'm nervous about this one just because he, he surprised everybody with that. Um, but I haven't seen it yet. So maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe he'll win me back with this one. <laughs> you may benefit from going in with lowered expectations as well, you know? <laughs> so it is amazing how much that can affect how we end up uh, responding to something. Um, then the next one would be the power of the dog, which mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I think we'd all agree is one of the, the top, top nominees here. One of the ones that I, I, I don't know. I know Jeffrey and I, none of our, none, none, you're, you're in my like top five for the year. None of those are even nominated for best picture, but this is one of the ones that if it won, I'd be like, yeah, that that's fitting. <laughs> yeah, I this think, is, this is the one of the two. Well, there, there are three that are in my top 10. So uh, there have been worst years, uh, worse years. But um, um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of The Power of the Dog. I think, it's, I, I think it's a really interesting, strange film that invites a lot of different readings. Uh, it has a lot of interesting connections with her early masterpiece, The Piano, which uh, won, her some, won her some Oscars there. Um, and... Um, it just has extraordinary performances uh, and it subverts so many Western tropes in, in really interesting ways without feeling like it has a vendetta, without feeling like, you know, oh, we're going to take the Western and turn it upside down and turn it into a tale of toxic masculinity. I mean, there is a lot of toxic masculinity going on, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a, a hit piece, you know, um, trying to settle scores in, in this genre. Uh, I'm really uh, really pleased with the subtlety of the whole thing and, and, and how many interesting conversations it's inspiring. Having said that, it didn't rock my world. Um, there, there are some performances that aren't quite up to the mark for me with, with some of the others in the film. Um, and I, I don't know, I'm, I'm really, really surprised that it has come this far, that it has grown in popularity the way it has. Um, I just, it's one of the mo- most complicated films to be nominated for Best Picture in a while. Yeah, I thought uh, so it's, very, we'll see what happens. it's a very quiet film. Yeah. And yep. and that doesn't tend to be the sort of thing that people latch on to so, that, like this. Like at no point does it grab the viewer by the collar and go, you're looking at art, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it, it just confidently, quietly unveils itself. Yeah. And, I think, yeah, just the depth of the characters, it, it feels like um, a literary masterpiece to me. Um, just just how deep some of these characters go, uh, what's on screen and what's in the script, and then what you can imagine is in the depths of these characters even beyond that, you know, which, which would make for interesting discussions in the future about these characters and their motivations. Um, yeah, I really liked it. It's... Um, like like I said before, I have not seen a lot of movies yet, but this one and Dune are in my in my personal top ten. Those are the only yep. Those are in my top ten as well. Yeah. It's it's so beautifully shot. Johnny Greenwood's score is extraordinary and yes, and, and nominated. Um, 
Although I'm not as I'm not as big a fan of, of his score for Power of the Dog as I am the score he did for Spencer, uh, the the Princess Diana. Yeah, uh, he's Beautiful. had quite a year and is really yep. really becoming one of the most powerful and creative uh, film composers out there right now. Uh, but yeah, just on every level, it's it's such a masterclass in filmmaking. Um, I've been really interested to see how many people are picking up on on seemingly very deliberate Hitchcock connections with the film too. There's been people have drawn some interesting connections with Psycho and how how um, Cody Smith McPhee, who's nominated for Best Supporting Actor, uh, how he resembles Anthony Perkins in a way and is yeah. often seen looking down from a high window. So. There's some Thanks. really interesting psycho connections, but I don't want to spoil anything, so I won't say any more about that. Zach, I know you don't care about predictions, but I'm going to be optimistic and say this is going to win Best Picture, and I think Campion's going to get Best Director. I, I hope you're given the options. I hope you're right. Yeah, being optimistic. I, I, you know, I, you know, I say I don't care, but when when this when something that moved me does end up getting getting noticed for it at the oscars i get excited you know i've been known to pump my fist a few times yeah no i was gonna say just a couple things with, with you talking about how the power of the dog kind of subverts our our ideas of the, of the western and takes on issues of toxic masculinity it is interesting that uh it's not an original screenplay it's it's based on a, a novella i believe uh not not a not a full-length novel but that one from the the early 60s quite quite an old story um and i don't know how much of that subversion and that toxic masculinity elements are in the original story versus uh being parts that were added in for this movie but um if you know anything about that i would like to hear it yeah no i haven't read it i've i the critics that have read it have have said it's well worth reading on its own um i i'd be very surprised if it was a close faithful adaptation because jane campion is such a storyteller herself and it seems to have so many resonance so so many resonances or much resonance many resonances <laughs> with other with other campion films that I, I i think she's probably taken some raw material and really made it her own but but i need to read it i'm i'm very curious uh, but I also I also love uh, just how I don't know I've seen some interpretations of this film that really kind of irk me. Uh, they seem like really simplistic readings that that want to make it about a showdown, you know, just sort of a showdown between two characters. Mm -hmm. um, and I I think I don't know I'm I'm inclined again I have to be very careful because I don't want to spoil it for anybody. But I, I'm inclined to read. Uh, it, it is a a very very dark story that ends in a in a place of real foreboding. Um, I some some have talked about the ending as just sort of a, a really wonderful resolution and and just a huge sigh of relief at the end. And I don't get that at all. So maybe we can do a follow up someday and talk about how this story ends. Yeah, there's that yeah I, I i need to watch it again for sure i, I feel like i would have a, a totally different understanding of it um the second time through there are um, also people talking about this shocking twist ending and that bothers me too because I, I i don't know how you can pay attention to the first hour and not see 
not see the cliff that we're about to fly off of, but uh, I'll, I'll leave that alone too. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's, that's the thing about like Chekhov's gun is I always, I always forget about the gun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It yeah. always works on me. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it was very, very clear what happened and then how the, the Bible verse played in the, yep. the yep. Psalm verse, which is uh, have it written down here somewhere. Psalm 22 uh, verse 20. Yeah. Deliver. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dogs. Uh, the bitter lament from King David of the might of the evildoers all around him. So, yeah, I think it's, I think when people watch it, it's obvious what happened if you're not looking at your phone and, and paying attention. Way to, way to come prepared, Dave. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> and t- since you mentioned the Johnny Greenwood score, I just wanted to say my favorite score of the year was not even nominated, and that would be The Green Knight. Oh, I'm I I completely agree. That's my favorite score of the year as well. That is an extraordinary piece of work and so worth listening to just on its own. Yeah, I I I've been putting it on uh like in the car and like my kids ask me to play, <laughs> you know, it's it's very surprising. They just find it to be uh beautiful. And uh yeah, the the Green Knight did not get nominated for anything. Um the last one is West Side Story, which I've also seen twice. I I took my younger son to that, uh, who uh, tends tends to enjoy musicals, uh, is wary of old things, so we we couldn't we couldn't make it through all of the original West Side Story when I tried maybe a year or two ago with my kids, um, but he quite liked the new one and 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 I loved the stuff that Tony Kushner did in the script with framing this against uh the the uh robert moses um changing of new york and and getting rid of these neighborhoods so that the 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 two gangs are fighting over territory that's not even going to exist uh within a couple years and sort of the the futility of where they are directing their angst is 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 really uh highlighted in that I have a complicated relationship with this one just because I hadn't seen, I, I had never seen West Side Story until about uh, nine months ago when I knew this was coming and I wanted to, to know what I was getting into. I wanted to be able to be part of the conversation of comparing them. And I was surprised at how much I loved the aesthetics of the original, uh, the, just the colors and the framing and everything. I couldn't believe how innovative it was for its time and uh, how underwhelmed I was by the story. Uh, I just didn't care about this couple. They annoyed me. They, uh, this, I didn't believe uh, that the, this, this guy was a gangster. I didn't believe he'd done hard time. Um, and I just, I don't know, I'm sorry if I'm cynical about love at first sight stories, but this one just didn't work for me at all. It just seemed like a, a contrivance in order to bring the two cultures together, where there were so many other more interesting stories that that could have been told. I'm not the first person to to think that the uh, the couple, um, I mean, Ariana DeBose, and I'm forgetting the name of the the actor who plays her boyfriend, but that their story would have been a, a, a much more interesting window onto the the larger drama. Um, she was amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, she just she steals the movie so powerfully that it's kind of a problem. Um, but having said that, it just 
watching it, I was just reminded that there is nobody like Spielberg. He he yep. knows how to use a camera and what to do with a wide screen uh, more than almost anybody working today. And he's been nominated now in how many different decades? Six. Yeah, the first <laughs> first one to to do that. And this was such a personal film for him that I. I loved it as it played, so long as I could find ways to ignore Elgort, so long as I could find ways to uh, pay attention to something other than the central romance, which still didn't work for me, still fell flat for me, so. Yeah, I just yeah, try I to was... pretend that, that the, the central romance isn't actually the central yeah. <laughs> part of the story. <laughs> like like uh, the character of, of Riff and uh, Mike, Mike Rice, Rice? Uh, who, who played him. I thought he was also excellent. Um, yeah, Ansel Elgort um, d- does not bring a whole lot to the movie, and I, I haven't really seen him bring a whole lot to, to any movie so far. He can sing, he can sing all right, but it's a, it's a shame that the, the personal misbehavior um, became tabloid news uh, after they'd started making this film and that it had to bear the burden of that. Um, but I mean, I, I remember being underwhelmed by him in Baby Driver as well. I just didn't find yeah. him. A, they, they were trying to make him a new Harrison Ford, and it's still not working. Um, I don't. I don't know. Maybe maybe he has his defenders out there on this film, but I, I haven't found them yet. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. And and for those that don't know, he he was using social media to pick up underage girls, and uh, it's super skeevy. Not yeah. not cool stuff at all. Um, Yikes! But they 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 uh, Christopher Plummer wasn't around to replace him. Um, <laughs> sadly, we we lost Chris uh, a little bit too soon. Uh, David Alvarez. That. David Alvarez is the name of the actor that plays Bernardo. That that's his name. Yeah, he was um, he was great. Yeah, yeah. Him and Debose make a movie about them, please. I mean, and you can do that now. Just 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 all we need is a spinoff. Well, she was she was wonderful in in the not necessarily always wonderful but interesting uh, musical theater spoof on HBO Schmigadoon. Yeah, <laughs> it came out this summer, I think, about right. a, a couple that goes hiking in the woods and ends up in a town that is a musical. Keegan Michael um, Key, yeah, yeah, and uh, Cecily Strong from from right. Saturday Night Live. That that was fun. Um, so. So those are the nominees. About mm-hmm. half of them, we seem to think, yeah, that makes sense. The other half, we're kind of scratching our heads. Uh, one of the, in, in 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 in, let's let's talk about some of the films that we are more interested in. In in one of the ways that that we like to focus on this, we we talked about this last time you were on, but the the axiom from Roger Ebert of the 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 movies are a machine that generates empathy. That's one of the things I'm looking for the most when I go see a movie. Um, and I'm wondering what what you found to be the, the best empathy generators this year for mm. you. Mm. That's that's one aspect that's very important to me. Um, I'm, I'm always reminded of uh, Frederick Beekner's words um, uh, that if, if we are to love our neighbors, we must first see our neighbors with our imaginations as well as our minds. That is to say, like artists, uh, love is the frame we see them in. Uh, That's from his collection of sermons, Whistling in the Dark. And I think of that all the time at the movies that often often what I feel like I'm doing there 
is not looking for something that is relatable, which is my uh, often uh, the most popular word in my, in my students writing about art is they're always looking for, they, they like something if it's relatable, if, it, if it's um, something that they can connect with with their experience. And I think ultimately you do have to find some point of connection. Um, but in the arts, I'm always looking for something that's unrelated. I'm looking for something that is foreign to my experience, something that is um, going to challenge me and expand me, uh, and, and expand my vision and so not expand me. That's why I don't eat popcorn at the movies, um, but <laughs> expand my vision in such a way that I can start to understand how other people see the world and whether or not I agree with them, then I can empathize with them better. Um, so the movie, some of the movies that did that for me this year um, uh, would be, Let's see, gosh, there's, there's, there's so many. Um, Drive My Car is one of those. Um, I, uh, it, it's, it starts out with this story of a, of a man who discovers his, his wife is unfaithful to him. And he spends the rest of the movie having to deal with that, that um, shocking revelation. And that drew me into a world of theater uh, that I'm unfamiliar with. Uh, it drew me into a way of coping with grief that I haven't really seen portrayed before. And it kept introducing these surprisingly unusual characters who I just couldn't quite uh, quite figure them out. Uh, but the, the joy of, of asking questions about them uh, kept my attention so that I would, I would be tuned into these scenes when they would suddenly connect and I would start to understand start to find a vocabulary for what these characters had in common. And it was such an interesting study of bonding through grief and finding love through grief um, and through art. Um, so it's, it's, it's a very complicated film. I'm really botching my, my summary of it here because the there's so much happening on so many levels uh, with that film. I think next to the French Dispatch, it probably has the most complicated screenplay I saw this year. Um, mm. So that, that was an empathy movie for me. Uh, the Power of the Dog, definitely an, uh, a powerful, empathetic film about a very persecuted young man. And then ultimately it takes who, the character who seems to be the villain and finds ways to make him empathetic in some ways as well. Um, it, it has a large enough heart to really love that very broken and dangerous character played by Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, but probably the biggest empathy movie for me this year was The Lost Daughter. Um, mm -hmm. um, Maggie Gyllenhaal's directorial debut. Um, that, yes. that film focuses on a character who you, you connect with quickly because you see how rich people are mistreating this poor college professor who just needs some time away. <laughs> and right away you're on her side and you just, I mean, we, I, I haven't been as nervous in the theater all year as, as I was when these rich people took over the beach and told her to move her little umbrella. Um, and she resisted. I just knew things were gonna go very, very wrong from there. But as the film unfolds, you start to have more and more questions about her and what she's doing there and what the nature of her secrets and wounds really are. Yeah. And, and the movie puts you in this very strange place of being horrified at what she is doing in response to the way she's being mistreated by this family. And uh, that, that was a very interesting journey where I had to I had to work to hold on to my love and grace for a character who um, was making some really scary decisions. So it's a it's a real uh, psychological exploration of a very complicated character 
and and similarly another exploration of grief uh, in unfamiliar territory. Yeah, that one took me on a bit of a ride where I felt like I really connected with with a lot of what Olivia Coleman's character, uh, well, and Olivia Coleman slash Jesse Buckley's character, right? They're uh, both great. Had had to say Jesse Bucky plays plays her at a at a younger uh, point in life, um, but what she has to say about the the crushing burden of of raising children, and the intense struggle of parenthood, and I felt like I connected maybe a little bit too much with her by the time it got to the end, and I see how many um, things I no longer agreed with her on. Uh, right. but at, at the outset, I was like, oh yeah, I totally relate to this. I'm, I'm very much identifying with Olivia Coleman's character. Ooh, what does that say about me though? I don't know. Um, it, it was maybe shining a light a little bit too strongly on, on myself. Um, that was one of those movies where I, I could feel the evangelical mothers reaching for their phones, um, because, it's it's one of those movies that can easily be labeled as anti-children or or right. anti-family, um, but I think what it does is it it gives expression to it, it acknowledges and respects uh, the experience of of many mothers who just who weren't didn't feel ready for this weren't asking for it and it doesn't get better from there it remains very very hard every step of the way and I I yeah. know some of those people I know I know the um, the, the toll it can take uh, on on some on some mothers, while while others find it pure joy and ex- exactly what they what they hoped for in life. So I'm glad that the movie is is representing that experience. There, I don't think there are enough movies that have been truthful enough about the challenges of it, whether you rise to the challenge and love it or not. So yeah, you always you always lose a bit of yourself. Um, when when you parent just just naturally and and it riding that tension of her maybe needing to take care of herself even though some of her decisions are are controversial or you feel yeah uneasy about what she's doing but um the taking care of herself versus knowing that you know she has a love for her children and 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 the responsibility and i think um well, even as a dad, I, I think just the way our culture is set up, there there's an extra weight upon upon moms, unfortunately, with with a lot of these things. And yeah, that that movie is um, as of right now at my number ten slot, and I think that is the film that my wife Michelle and I have discussed the most mm-hmm. out of the ones we have seen together this year. Or yeah, I have it year. as my number eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it has in common with the power of the dog and the Green Knight a final scene that can be interpreted a, a lot of different ways. Um, right. You know, whether what you're seeing is real or not. Um, I have it at number six oh, on right. my list, yeah. just, just above the power of the dog. Yeah. It's a, it's <laughs> right above the power of the dog for me as well. Um, what about funny movies? Uh, is it just me or were there basically no funny movies this year or at least good ones? The the only one that I even have in my top 25 is Barb and Stargo to Vista Del Mar, which I have at number seven. Um, but look, I mean, there's, there's funny aspects of, of other movies. I mean, I think by default, a Wes Anderson movie gets classified as a comedy. That's pretty um, funny. Th- there's, there's definitely a lot of, of comedy in it. Um, 
but that's really the only other one that that I think would primarily fit that description. Did you did you come across any any comedies that really hit you, or okay, did you then, like Barb and Star? <laughs> I liked Barb and Star. That was that was a lot of fun, um, um, and uh, you know. It, strange casting connection with Belfast there and I actually prefer the performance in Barb and Star um, but, <laughs> Amy Dornan but um, the the comedies that that, that made uh, that actually made me laugh this year uh, together together oh yeah yeah um, actually, Nicole... that is the first movie I saw back in the theater after I got vaccinated I well this, the first day I, I I had to get two in I went and saw King, uh, Godzilla versus Kong, which don't don't ask me any specifics about it. At one point, they were on a boat. That's yeah. pretty much all I can remember. And together, together, and yeah. yeah, I have that as my number seventeen. I really like that. Yeah, another really strong film uh, directed by a woman this year, and it's it's good to see that. I wish it. Had, I wish it had. It had some early momentum. I wish it had remained strong in people's memories because. Uh, I mean, it's not one of my favorite films of the year, but I, I enjoyed it a great deal. And I, I laughed a lot. Um, I laughed at a film that I believe I saw with you, Zach, uh, The Sparks Brothers, the documentary uh, okay. about the Sparks Brothers. There, there, there were some good laughs in that. They're very funny guys. And the, the documentary was made with a lot of love and humor by Edgar Wright. Um, but maybe the surprise comedy for me this year um, in really in the uh, vein of Edgar Wright comedies uh, was a little movie called Werewolves Within um, directed by Josh Rubin um, and it's it's just a, a wonderful knives out like uh, you know mystery in one house where they're snowed into a big lodge and you don't know who the werewolf is uh, but little by little you're you're uh, narrowing it down because people keep getting slaughtered in grisly ways and it's it's very much in the spirit of Shaun of the dead uh it's a lot of fun and uh it uh, uh feature i'm forgetting the name of the actor who plays guillermo on uh, what we do in the shadows but he's there harvey Gian. Uh, there's a, a lot of great um comedians playing or you know doing character actor stuff here uh it's it I went and saw it at the Crest, our, you know, our neighborhood theater for about five bucks. And I got more than my $5 worth of fun out of it. It's uh, easy to find now streaming. So um, check out Werewolves Within if you're in kind of a mood for a, like an Edgar Wright comedy, but there, there isn't a new Edgar Wright comedy. There's just Last Night in Soho. So um, yeah, disappointing. I, my, um, I, li- I liked it, but it wasn't funny. <laughs> right. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> Uh, did, but werewolves within sounds great. I'll yeah, I put that on my list. Did Did you see uh, about endlessness the the new no. Roy Anderson movie? <laughs> I have to be in a very particular mood for Anderson, and it's been about six years since I've been in that mood. So maybe uh... yeah, the only one I'd seen before was Songs from the Second Floor, which I saw yes. that when it came out uh, yeah. circa two thousand four or five. Um, so having seen two now, I may have seen another, but having seen two now, it seems like his style is essentially setting up the camera, not moving it at all. And then things happen very slowly for like five, six minutes right. before moving on to the next shot. And there's a real absurdist nature to it. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a priest who loses his faith that you see a few times throughout this one that there's 
a sequence that really got me where he's just like showing up to like his therapist's office. And he said, what, and say, what do I do now that I've lost my faith? And, and the receptionist is like, we're, we're closing. Sorry. And he's just like distraught. What, but what do I do? And they just kind of slowly like sort of push him out the door and turn off the lights or something like can't help you today. You got to come back another time. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, he's a very particular <laughs> sort yeah. of director. He, um, he, he often has a, a very, very dark and funny, uh, sort of religious subtext, uh, going on. And I remember in songs from the second floor, there's a scene I will never forget where this guy's like in a train station and he, he has all these, uh, sort of Catholic crucifixes with him. And while he's sitting there, just sort of staring at the floor, one of the Jesuses on one of the crosses breaks loose from one hand and he's swinging from the other hand back and forth from his cross and he doesn't stop swinging. It's almost like he's trying desperately to get this man's attention. And I just couldn't stop laughing as, as irreverent as that was. I mean, that was like a life of Brian level visual joke. I, I, I think of the far side when I, when I watch yes. Roy Anderson films. That's a great, that's a great comparison. Yeah. That's very much that tone. Um, okay, so we've talked about some comedies. We talked about uh, empathetic movies. Let's let's just go through some of some of your favorites of the year that that haven't been talked about that that didn't get nominated at all uh, by haven't been talked about I mean by us so far in this conversation. Um we we ba- briefly touched on The Green Knight. Um I think Does he want to run down his top 10? Yeah, yeah, why don't you talk about the the ones that we haven't heard. Yeah, I haven't uh, I haven't published that at looking closer yet. So so you're getting an exclusive Yes. Uh, <laughs> Unless and, you publish it before Tuesday. And when it when it comes to my top ten list, just wait two weeks and it will have changed. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, uh, right. Number ten, I have a film by a director I'm not familiar with, Andreas Fontana. It's called Azor. Uh, it's about a banker from Geneva who goes to Argentina to try to figure out what happens to his partner, his his banking business partner, uh, and it turns into kind of a take on Heart of Darkness as he gets deeper and deeper into the corruption in banking at that level. Uh, And the church, uh, the Catholic church is very much implicated in the corruption. Um, And it stars Fabrizio Rangioni, who you may know from some of the Darden brothers films. He's in Two Days, One Night with Marion Cotillard. Um, He's he's just a, a, this is, I don't know. I've admired him as an actor before. I didn't expect him to be such a compelling leading man. Uh, it's a very quiet, understated, strange, and mysterious film. Uh, but man, it held my attention. Uh, so that's called Azor, A-Z-O-R. And that's available streaming now. Um, I believe it's on, uh, where did I, I think I saw it on either the Criterion Channel or Movie. I can't remember. Uh, I have Drive My Car at number nine, uh, a film that, like we said, visually was not as enchanting for me as I'd hoped. So I really did feel the three hours. I've heard other people saying that the three hours will fly by. That was not my experience. But 
it is a very compelling story with so many interesting characters. I actually, this is another case where I wish there was a movie about two of the supporting characters, uh, this married couple, um, who, uh, one of whom is deaf, and uh, the, their, their relationship was so fascinating to me. I just wanted to follow them around, maybe in some deleted scenes. Uh, One of the Duke. visuals of that that was really interesting now when I think about it, it's, it's rather than having super striking individual images, it, it seems like he was going for like a hypnotic effect with having almost, almost repeated scenes. You get, you get several instances that occur over and over and over. Uh, the various uh, uh, traveling to and from the the rehearsal space, and then the rehearsals themselves, where often we're seeing them just doing recitation right. of the script over and over, and then that gets interrupted by a big scene that's in a different location than either of those two things, where two you know two characters maybe will have have a an interaction that kind of brings you out of the the lull of the rest of it i think it would really really help to know the play uncle vanya before you see it yeah. <laughs> since it figures so prominently that they're rehearsing that play and there's enough of the play in there to get the gist of of the correlation between the themes of that play and the themes of the film but i would recommend watching uh vanya on 42nd street mm -hmm. uh, that extraordinary uh film with andre gregory and wallace sean and Brooke Smith and Julianne Moore, uh, just such such a great treatment of that Chekhov play. If you watch that first and then watch Drive My Car, I'll bet it would be much more uh, moving and powerful because you would you'd be familiar with the play that they have on their minds throughout all of these hardships. Um, yeah, that's uh, I'm I'm really glad. I'm just thrilled that that movie is getting the attention that it's getting. Okay, um, as someone who grew up loving Frank Herbert's Dune, I am so glad I lived to see a movie worthy of that book. Um, it's, I wish it was an hour longer because I, I really feel how much they are abridging the book, but they're giving, giving it more attention than anybody else has so far, um, unless you count that miniseries, which wasn't interesting enough to hold my attention. Uh, but I love the casting all the way through. A lot of people didn't think... Um, Chalamet was compelling enough to play Paul, but I think to play Paul well, you have to not be compelling enough. Uh, Paul is a timid character who is very, very reluctant about being uh, groomed as an intergalactic messiah uh, by powers greater than him. And so I thought uh, in his soft-spoken way and his sort of slightly insecure way, he was exactly right for that character. I'm really excited to see where they go with part two because they've set the stage for this to be a properly subversive Messiah story, a properly subversive white savior story. Um, but we'll see. Um, there's a lot that yeah. could go wrong in part two. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my number nine. Uh, just uh, I wasn't familiar with the material at all. I've never read the book. I have never seen the, um, I think it was a 1984 David Lynch version yes, of this. Yes. I haven't seen that one. Yes. You wouldn't uh, know so it this... from seeing the credits though. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> he got his name taken off. <laughs> oh, yeah. right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it was totally fresh for me and, and I, I thought it looked great and was just so fascinating because I mean, I'm a big Star Wars fan, the original trilogy, and that's just kind of the, the space op opera swashbuckling, but this is real 
kind of heady science fiction where they're really building a world and and all the political intrigue that's going on. I just found it really fascinating. Um, I, I like that you like Timothy Chalamet's performance because I think that's the one thing that I don't, it just didn't click for me. But then again, I'm, I'm coming into it fresh. I've never read the book. Um, it, it, the performance felt kind of off to me, but that was, I guess, from my vantage point. I've had the book sitting on my nightstand for like five years. And, and <laughs> when I didn't read it in time for the movie, I knew that just means I got to wait several more years because the, when the next one comes out, that's going to finish the, the book. Right. So right. I don't want to spoil everything for myself, but. I tried to read it again recently and found that it hasn't held up as well as I remember, as far as the writing goes, the mm. story has, the story is just, has an incredible backbone. I mean, it's a very powerful story and it's understanding of history and the way power corrupts and the, the colonizing influence. It, it could have been written it could have been written today as a critique of colonization. Um, but uh, on the line to line writing level, I have some problems with it. That's another whole conversation. But boy, does it bring the images to life. I mean, in a way that I haven't felt with a literary adaptation since Jackson's uh, The Fellowship of the Ring took us into the minds of Moria. And I felt like I was seeing on a screen the very things I'd imagined as a kid. Um, there is something about weight in this movie, the, the, the pressure of feeling the Harkonnen forces coming into Arrakis to attack uh, the Atreides family and how vulnerable and how set up they are there. It, you really, really feel the pressure of that. And those, those horizontal compositions uh, that emphasize these ships that are bigger than you can imagine descending onto this planet um, re really created a, a an incredibly emotional um, weight to this film. And the, the sound design did too. I'm not usually a big fan of Hans Zimmer, but his broad stroke score for this movie really works for me. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I'm usually not into him either. I mean, th there is so many wonderful things about it. I mean, it, every kid at Christmas was asking for the box of pain this year, you know? Um, really, I, I didn't see that coming, but not since Star Wars has a, a merchandising opportunity. Wow, I thought so of that. clear. Uh, Dennis, uh, Dennis Villeneuve, how do you say his name? Villeneuve. Villeneuve. Nominated. Yeah. Not nominated for best director. Yeah. I think it got like 10 nominations, including in all the technical categories. And so they might, they might that's be another head stretcher. <laughs> They might yeah, be waiting for part two. two. Yeah, we'll right. see. Okay. Well, I've got The Power of the Dog and The Lost Daughter, as I said earlier, at number seven and number six. Um, I admire them both very, very much. Uh, I think I need to see The Power of the Dog a second time before I know if I love it or not. Uh, but I'm just so glad to see Jane Campion back. Um, I, I really, really loved her, her miniseries, and I'm blanking on Top of the Lake. Top of the Lake. Yes. Yeah. Yes, um, that with Elizabeth Moss, that is an extraordinary series. Um, such a wonderful story. One of the most satisfying series I've ever seen. The sequel series, Top of the Lake, uh, China, China Girl. Girl. Yeah, I didn't is, watch that one. It's very, very good. It has the, the conclusion of that one is not quite as satisfying. It, it wraps things up a little too neatly. There are a couple of, couple of coincidences in it that kind of bug me. 
but um, both of those series are well worth seeing. Um, I, yeah, I just think she's at the peak of her powers and I hope that this means she will have resources to do uh, much, much more. Uh, number five, I've got the Summer of Soul, the Questlove documentary, uh, which is such maybe the most necessary movie of the year that I saw. I'm just yeah. so grateful to the labor of love of putting that together and, and reviving this important chapter of history that had just been buried that I knew nothing about. So many people knew nothing about. Um, and that was sobering and inspiring and, and deeply moving to watch. And just so many magical live music moments. I mean, enough has been said probably, well, no, I don't think enough can be said about watching Mavis Staples uh, inherit <laughs> the, the throne from Mahalia Jackson. Uh, but that, that to, to have the cameras up that close for that moment was one of the most breathtaking scenes I saw all year, but also to watch Stevie Wonder at that age. Yeah. That was, that was the moment of the film for me was when, when he takes over on the, on the drums. Uh, yes. That was in, incredible. I also loved uh, the fifth dimension talking yes. about how much it meant to play that festival and be accepted as black artists who mm -hmm. uh, typically had found, they, they'd found success in, in mostly white audiences. Mm -hmm. um, and so getting to perform at, at a place like that was, was incredibly meaningful for them. You know, they, they, they had success doing like Burt Bacharach songs and things, right. um, things, things we don't think of as being the sort of music you'd hear at a black festival. Um, but that, that was, that's, I have that tied as for my number one uh, with, with pig. I can't, I can't really separate them because, you know, documentary, and 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 uh, and a, a drama, just just completely different movies. So those are my twin number ones. Well, we're going to get back to that issue of the tie here in a moment. <laughs> <laughs> I will say I own Pig. I don't own Summer of Soul. So I, I think yes. Pig Pig may be my real number one. I'm waiting for I'm waiting for Criterion to pick up uh, Summer of Soul and do like All a huge outtakes. package. Oh my yeah. gosh! I mean that's that's the way. That's the only way that that's going to happen. Yeah. Thanks for the advice. I I might wait for that too. And Zach, that's I. I well, I think you did share with me your list, but um, my top two are essentially your top two. Um, oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, wow. Summer of Soul. I, you know, I, I think watching that, it, it was something like that is so much more meaningful to me than Woodstock. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I can respect right. Woodstock as a, a cultural event and everything that was going on in the 60s. But I, I think just Summer of Soul is such a, just a more powerful spiritual experience Mm -hmm. um beyond woodstock and i i personally think the best pop music in the world was produced in the 60s and and most of those artists up there were doing that music that that we love that that pop music that we you're telling me that that uh to. sly and the family stone are are more interesting than country joe and the fish <laughs> i mean I for all the talk of this is like the black woodstock if you ask me woodstock is the the white harlem cultural festival after having seen this movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i love summer soul uh just really really great so well and the um the the way that the film doesn't just dwell on the artists on stage there's so much loving attention to the faces in the crowd um yeah. just moving yep. moving in and through and around the festival even like the 
the, the street food vendors. Um, there, there's just so much beautiful photography. I was just in love. I, I love movies that love faces. And this is a movie that loves faces. It's just, there's so many beautiful human beings that it's, it's just so inspiring. And then to see the artists and others watching, watching the footage and, and I, that, I mean, that, that closing interview or just that, that closing interview clip, you know, where this, this young man, this, this man is looking and going, I thought I dreamed it, you know, yeah. I, I, I don't, I, yeah, he it's was like so five or something like yeah, on yeah. his dad's shoulders at the festival or something. And like, because uh, this footage for, for people that don't know, uh, it, it was just like in somebody's closet for the last 50 years or whatever. Right. And, uh, it was, you know, this this festival was put on. It, it took place over several weeks mm-hmm. and they filmed it. They had multiple cameras. There's, you know, you know, dozens and dozens of hours of footage of this and the the arrangement of them into something was supposed to happen immediately after and it just didn't um i want to shout out to my one of, one of my closest friends uh since elementary school a friend of mine named named john smart who uh, recommended that i uh check out episode three of the 1619 project podcast um, I haven't spent nearly enough time with that podcast yet, but episode three is called The Birth of American Music, and it mm. fo- focuses on how much uh, American music, how, how much of rock music, how, how many of the hits we know from white artists have their roots deep, deep, deep into uh, traditions of Black American music, and um, that that episode is really eye-opening, um, and I'm glad he was after me to listen to it because I don't have much time to listen to podcasts, but I prioritized that one, and I'm, I'm glad I did. I learned a lot from that, and I think it's a good uh, experience to have alongside watching uh, the Summer of Soul. I'll check that out. Yeah. So that was your number five. Well, number five. Uh, it's going to get a lot easier from here because number four is the 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 French Dispatch. Um, I love Wes Anderson. I think this is the most. As I'm not the first person to say this is the most Wes Anderson Wes Anderson film. It's like a 21 layer cake of Wes Anderson films. There's so many stories being told at once, so many levels of architecture. It's really like the Jacques Tati masterpiece that he's had in him all along. First time I saw it, I was so overwhelmed by it. I didn't know what to think and I didn't know if I loved it or hated it. The second time (laughs) I really started plugging into the storylines and finding correlations, thematic correlations between the storylines. And there are a lot of things that happen in each story uh, that connect that start to give you the bigger picture of what he's doing. I don't want to spoil anything there, but uh, I can tell that it's going to be one of those I love more every time I see it. Um, And once again, an extraordinary musical score. Um, But I do wish he would give some unknown actors some some spotlights because it really does sort of seem like he's bringing along his bus full of celebrities all the time. The cast lists have been have been coming out for the for his next movie. And he is finally bringing aboard uh, some 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 names that he hasn't worked with before. He's, he's got a, a a young man named Tom Hanks. Oh uh, well, this time. okay, all right, all right. Up, and, um, up and coming. Yeah, and uh, this, this I hear t- good this things. Tilda Swinton newcomer, who I think you know, she's not getting any work anywhere. So her her I think teeth she's be may, have, may have been my she... my favorite uh, uh, part of that movie. <laughs> she she is hilarious. Nobody wears false teeth like Tilda Swinton. She. <laughs> can find her character in the teeth they give her 
Oh, that's true in Snowpiercer as well. But uh, yeah, I was thinking Snowpiercer. Yeah, but in this one, she said, "Give give me the full Walton Goggins." <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. Um, yeah, I, my favorite. I mean, I thought Jeffrey Wright was the highlight of the French Dispatch for me. His he has he has a book full of dialogue and it's just mesmerizing uh the voice he finds for it the very james baldwin mm -hmm. uh kind of uh, uh delivery and wisdom and everything that he says and i i would i would have been fine with a whole movie just about him um so i have a th i've never done this before and i'm sure this violates someone's sacred rule oh, of list no. somewhere but i have a oh. three-way tie for number one I, oh wow <laughs> i can't do it you can't make me do this it's, it's and here I thought you were going to chastise me, and so I backed off on my tie like immediately. It's only a, for you to come oh, at us with a three-way tie. It's a it's a triptych though. These movies belong together. They're all about um, different definitions of masculinity. Uh, the Green Knight, Pig, and Come On, Come On. You've got someone who is all about the the formulaic, uh, uh, arrogant definition of power uh, that. Uh, I mean, it's so perfect to, to, for this to, story to be planted in the middle of uh, the Arthurian legends uh, because we see Arthur in his court and we hear the stories being told around the table and then we see the battlefield where he has just left his enemies to rot on Christmas. Uh, and the movie just keeps undercutting these, these poisonous myths that, that continue that are at the heart of what's dividing America today. And it's... And yet it's such a tender, compassionate piece of storytelling about a buffoon who really needs to learn to take responsibilities for his actions. Um, there's a lot of debate about what happens in the final scene and I won't go there right now. That's probably a conversation for another time, but it's also the most visually enchanting movie I saw all year. We talked about the music already. The cast is extraordinary all the way through. Every single actor is, is kind of an inspired choice for their role. I have not been um, a fan of David Lowry's films. I always find them interesting, but they always, they, they never quite, they're, they're, they're never more than the sum of their parts for me. Mm. Uh, the, a ghost story didn't work for me. I wasn't thrilled with his Pete's Dragon. Ain't Them Body Saints felt like I haven't uh, seen that one. Terrence Malick fan film. Uh, but the this, Old Man and the Gun. Yeah, that, that too was disappointing despite its okay. cast. Maybe the most disappointing movie to star Tom Waits I've ever seen. <laughs> but but the Green Knight, it just I was just I just sat there in awe of it and I turned right around and went back and watched it again the next day. I uh, did the it, same, but only because uh, uh, my my theater had a corrupted file and and forced me to, to uh, that's leave, right. leave halfway that. through. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I did go two days in a row. And uh, yeah, I, I I don't I don't think any film on could beat it this year for atmosphere and tone. Right. right. Just it was thick with atmosphere. I, it was. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, Stephen Gradonis wrote a great ten thousand word essay about yeah. why why he's not down with the this interpretation of the story. I've been working on a rebuttal for so many months, and it's probably it's already too long. Uh, but yeah. Alicia if, uh, Vikander should have been nominated for Best Supporting Actress. She is just terrifying in this film. Um, and makeup and special effects. There's so many reasons it should be all over this Oscar list, and it's not. Steven's piece is so great, and, and it should be included 
in a Criterion edition of this, though, though it'll like add a dollar to the printing costs. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's true. Uh, then there was Pig, which was the biggest surprise for me all year. Um, I just had no idea what I was walking into, and I was Same. so moved by it. I was so afraid it was going to be what it was marketed to be, just another kind of John Wick revenge yep. story. I had no idea I was going to come out thinking about Ratatouille and Babette's Feast. Um, but what a strange, surreal, um, and ultimately very moving uh, film about finding something you really, really love and, and, and pursuing that vision with everything you have without compromising, even if it costs you everything. Um, it's, and it's, all, it's the greatest Nick Cage performance since, boy, I want to say Raising Arizona, if I have to go back that far. Um, yeah. Maybe. maybe uh, I'd agree with you adaptation maybe but I, I i need to check that again such yeah, a great performance. i i do not support um the uh, uh pig's view of seattle though Portland. um i thought i thought at one point he says fuck seattle oh yes he does <laughs> <laughs> he, yes. he is in portland but he, he has commentary anti-seattle seattle propaganda yes, right yeah uh, will not be tolerated but <laughs> no, Portland I, Indians, I, man. I loved that. And then, like I said before, come on, come on, is such a beautiful portrait of an uncle and nephew relationship. As someone for whom, uh, you know, an uncle figure was very, very formative. My, uh, my uncle, Paul Morris, um, was a real role model for me, a real inspiration for me uh, in, in, in my creativity. And uh, I always looked forward to time with him at family gatherings. And there was something about the the spirit of the connection between uncle and nephew in this one and i was just like that's a that's a relationship that doesn't get enough attention at the movies um i know so many people who who have had great uncles and i aspire to be one to my what 32 nephews and nieces now um so that's a personally there i have a lot of affection for that film um, but also like i said the great joaquin phoenix performance uh the great child actor performance by Woody Norman, who's just uncanny. Uh, and then Gabby Hoffman, who I thought should have been nominated for Best Supporting Actress as, uh, as the child's mother and, and Joaquin's character's sister. Um, um, I, I just hope people will see that on the biggest screen possible because uh, even more than Belfast, I, I think the, uh, the black and white photography of this film is just gorgeous. And I'm so glad I was lucky enough to see it in a theater. Uh, the music is done by the the Desners, by the you know from the National, mm -hmm. um, and it's very understated and affecting all the way through. Um, nice, yeah, just a just a joy of a movie. I don't often say that a, a movie feels like it's been that that's just full of love, but everything in this movie feels like it's full of love. Mike Mills is becoming one of my favorite directors, so that's high high up on my must see list for sure. Um, Zach, do you want to do your uh, top 10 real quick here? Yeah, yeah. I, I only have two that weren't covered here. Um, so my my number 10 is Come On, Come On. And I will say it probably would be higher if I didn't have a, a pretty bad experience at the theater when I saw it. There, oh. I saw it right after you, Jeffrey, but uh, they had this incredibly loud fan going for a good 20 oh, minutes. You saw it in the same theater I did. I had the yeah. same problem. Yeah, yeah. I, I I left the theater to find somebody to turn that off. Like I couldn't hear dialogue; it was so loud. And then the rest of the movie I had people on either side of me who were like 
talking on the phone (laughs) and and just like it was it was wild i i had not had that bad of an experience uh since having to leave the green knight halfway through um but uh then number nine power of the dog uh for number eight i have the lost daughter number seven barb and star uh my wife and i have watched it three three times now um that's sort of becoming a new comfort watch for us up there with raising arizona i'm not going to say it's as good as raising arizona but uh we i I totally respect that that it 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 really swings for the fences it's it's wild yeah there's just not many comedies that that are as silly and goofy yeah. Uh, as we that. need more of those. Yeah. That's, you know, there's a lot of dark comedies, a lot of, a lot of, uh, cynical comedies. And this doesn't, it doesn't have an ounce of that. Um, then after that, uh, number, uh, uh, six is Dune. Uh, number five, Jeffrey, you didn't care for this one. Uh, but nine days, uh, I, I got on its wavelength right away. And, uh, I actually, I didn't get to see it in a theater. I, I, I digitally rented it and I, I watched it twice uh, before the rental expired. Um, you know. I need to, I need to give it another chance because so many, so many people I respect just, just loved that movie. Um, one of my dearest friends in the world who happens to be my, my high school English teacher. Um, um, I got in touch with him uh, a couple of months ago, and he couldn't stop talking about how how deeply moved he was by that film. And so I that that told me right there I need to give it another chance because he's introduced me to so much of the art that has changed my life. So, yeah, that you know, it's it's very much um, you know, I know you you didn't care for Soul very much as well, and that there may be similar reasons why this didn't land with you. But there, yeah, you know, no, that's it's a, a very comparison. high concept uh high concept low budget (laughs) um film about life and the lives we live and the value and the the ways that people choose to live those lives however long they may be although i would Uh, say it has more in common with inside out as far as its concept but and inside mm -hmm. out really really worked for me so i don't know maybe i just need to see it again it helped me to see it again uh, there, there is definitely some things that that I hadn't really picked up on that uh, resonated even more with me the second time around. Uh, you know, it's a small movie; uh, not a lot of people saw it. I think it's it's well worth giving a shot at. And and I do think uh, Winston Duke. I heard an interview on Bullseye with him talking about this that was really fascinating. Um, but most people only know him from playing uh, Mbaku, the chief uh, of the sort of the, the up, up in the mountain, the snowy area uh, a tribe in, in Black Panther. He, he oh, looked like right, a right. WWF wrestler, super sculpted, super muscular. And, and he is very pudgy. He is very, he, he completely changed his body for this, for this role and his, unrecognizable well, um, he, he also has a major role in in us the jordan peele horror yes film as well and yes he's, he's he's very funny in that um, yeah i i and this this interview was really uh enlightening he's 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 an interesting guy i i definitely am encouraged uh to to see what what projects he gets involved in i think it seems like he has enough cachet now to not just take whatever's offered, but to choose things. And this nine days felt like one that he 
chose that really spoke to him. And, and it, it, I found it to be quite moving. Um, so after that, my number four is the green Knight. Uh, I already said number one and two are summer of soul and pig number three. Um, if, if the Oscars had an award for best ensemble cast, uh, I don't see how you could give it to anything other than mass. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's that, that, that and Spencer just missed my top 10, but the, those mm. are, yeah. Mass is so powerful and, and so necessary in modeling the kind of discourse, the kind of conversations that need to be happening without skimping on how hard they are. Um, yeah. It's, it's a, it's a remarkable cast. I need to see that one. Yeah. Uh, for those, you know, we haven't talked about it at all tonight. So mass is essentially, uh, you know, 95% of it is four actors uh, playing two couples um, that are having a mediated conversation uh, to, to work through issues relating to a, a tragic event that brought them into each other's lives. Um, and some of them are, are more interested in taking part in the conversation than others, but they all recognize that it's something that needs to happen to help them move forward. And they work through a lot of things in that time. And, and that the less said, the better, I think Um, it's not a long movie. Um, It is, it is a quiet movie. It's, it's one to, it's not a laundry folding companion, you know, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a sit and pay attention and and just listen sort of movie um i mean people will recognize jason isaacs uh from all kinds of things uh, mm-hmm. including including harry potter um boy that sounded dejected didn't it uh, <laughs> um martha plimpton needs to be in more movies i know she's done a lot of great television but she's fantastic i don't know reed bernie but i thought he yeah he was thought, the only one that i didn't recognize either yeah his performance was i thought the most interesting in the film and then of course Anne dowd is just one of those reliables so anything she's in she's going to be great uh, but yeah not many movies i could think of where four people sit at a table and command my attention for uh more than 90 minutes but that yeah, was it, it it felt like it could have been a play yeah and a very clearly. good one <laughs> yes right absolutely very cool yeah oh, i'm so glad that one came up i was worried that was gonna, gonna slip through the cracks here but uh i'm glad that's on your list yeah uh i'll mention one other that was just outside my top 10 that that didn't get mentioned i'm wondering if you happen to see it. it it was a nominee for the golden brick from film spotting uh the killing of two lovers Oh no, that's in my uh, it's in my queue on canopy.com. It's it's at the top of the list there. I actually started it the other day and got interrupted, so I'm looking forward to going back to it. Yeah, it's uh, you know, clearly they're big Roy Anderson fans. Um, because it's <laughs> it's also put the camera on a very well-framed image and don't really move it for a few minutes. Um but in a very different mode. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it, it's on Hulu as well, I believe. Um, but it, it deals with a, a an agreed upon separation between a husband and wife with with uh, kids as well, and the husband is not navigating it very well. And uh, you can guess from the title uh, that that uh, he really is not navigating it well, um, and. 
uh, it has Clayne Crawford as the as the as the husband. He was in the the remarkable show Rectify, um, which I know uh, you you enjoyed as well, Jeffrey. Yeah, we, yeah, we've talked much. about that a little. Great work um, from Scott. His Team. his arc on that was was quite remarkable mm-hmm. as well. So, mm-hmm. what so about just, you, Dave? Let's yeah, just, just read so. it real quick. Just let's let's let's, let's hear. <laughs> Mostly, it. let's see. Okay. So uh, number 10, I have The Lost Daughter, which we talked about. Uh, number eight, I actually have Last Duel. Have you guys seen Last Duel? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought that was an interesting uh, medieval Ridley Scott-directed uh, Me Too-era uh, screenplay written by Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, but they wisely gave top billing to Nicole uh, Hoffman Center, I think is her name. Olive Center, yeah. Olive Center, yeah. Terrible haircuts. Uh, quite good movie. <laughs> it's kind of a Rashomon type setup uh it's a I think it's a really good movie I, I do have uh just some questions and, and kind of even after it wondering if they would have done things differently would it you know would it be a totally different experience like what if they didn't show the rape scene and the audience had to make the moral decision to you know believe Jodie Cummer's character like Matt Damon had to and you know there's things like that that I was kind of thinking about it but I I still think it's a, you know, it was a good enough film to land on my list as well. Um, Let's see, that was nine. Uh, Eight, I had Dune. Seven, I cheated and I put the Beatles Get Back documentary, which is on uh, Disney Plus, which I, which I absolutely loved. I I still haven't seen that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, It took me weeks to watch that on my lunch breaks. Um, Seven hours, Peter Jackson. Nine. (laughs) <laughs> or nine hours, yeah. yeah. Peter Jackson edited it together. It uh, culminates in their final rooftop concert, uh, which was interrupted by the police. And I'm, I'm just thinking, imagine being the police shutting down the Beatles. They didn't know it at the time, but what? Would yeah, but there's a the great Beatles tradition class? of that oh. ending for movies. I mean, that's how Monty Python and the Holy Grail ends. Yep. So, yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah just. Uh, I grew up with the Beach Boys and the Beatles. My mom was buying Beatles records in the 60s. And so just really, really special. I don't think she's seen it yet, but I'd love to share that with her. And uh, number six, I have The Tragedy of Macbeth. I'm a huge Coen Brothers fan. I I was personally in Macbeth. I played Banquo in high school. So I got assassinated in the third act or whatever. This is an hour, 45 minute movie. So they they definitely edit it down. But I, I think it's... It's pun- a little punchier. The cinematography is excellent. The performances are amazing. Uh, number five, The Power of the Dog. Um, number four is The Green Knight. Uh, so strange, so weird. Just just an incredible movie. Um, number three, I have The Card Counter. Um, Oscar Isaac, directed by Paul Schrader. His follow-up to First Reformed. And just its meditations on sin, on collective sin, individual sin. Is there penance for sin? Uh, can he achieve salvation, uh, perhaps through somebody loving him? Uh, I thought it was just a, a real thought-provoking, really, really great movie. Number I'm two, so glad you, I'm really glad you're including that one. I, I, I'm in the, the extreme minority of, of moviegoers who actually prefer that to First Reformed. I, I really I think I do. Really I agree. Enjoyed that. Yeah. yeah, I agree with you. Yep. Oh, wow. Okay, so maybe, maybe <laughs> not. Maybe it's unanimous. I did like First Reformed, but I, yeah, I, I thought this was... Uh, yeah, just something about it hit me definitely differently than uh, than First Reform. It was a lot and, less ambiguous. Right. The ending, I won't give it away, but I especially found the last shot really beautiful. And uh, yeah, I guess First Reformed 
open to interpretation on on some fronts but yeah number two uh summer of soul and then number one is uh of course pig yeah the best nicholas cage movie i think ever raising arizona maybe in the conversation and and adaptation is very good <laughs> i don't know how you can i don't know how you can compare them i mean one is one right. of the great looney tunes performances of all time and uh the the other is just i don't even know what to compare it to yeah right right he's like some great creature from the woods in a miyazaki movie or something <laughs> what a strange Absolutely. year i mean it's 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 a very yeah. very difficult list to make because there was the, the the movies are really hard to compare this year um yeah it is interesting that we ended up with so many similar ones at, at the top yeah um but yeah i mean you know we we know that pandemic pandemic has affected production and so different sorts of movies that normally would have come out. I haven't come out, you know, no, I would have expected all of us would have had a uh, top gun Maverick as our number one movie of the year, <laughs> yeah. but alas, it has not come out yet. We didn't, um, we didn't mention, we didn't mention passing the Rebecca Hall film, which is oh, also yeah. just gorgeous and uh, very moving. The Soderbergh film, no sudden move, which I thought was fantastic. Although I know <laughs> some people really didn't like the, the lenses he was using in that one. Um, the most yeah. hero, the most harrowing <laughs> thing I saw all year was called Quo Vadis Ada, uh, which is about uh, the Serbian army taking over a small town. It's uh, maybe the closest thing to like a Schindler's List kind of experience this year. So proceed with caution. But yeah, just a just a really weird year. So many different kinds of experiences. I loved it. Yeah, I'm hoping we'll get more comedies next year. But Me we'll too. see. I, I I've I've written down Werewolves Within. Uh, that sounds like one my my wife and I will will enjoy together probably. Yeah, it's it's fun. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Jeffrey. Um, it's 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 getting late, yeah. um, but good to uh, talk with you again. Really, really nice to be able to talk about uh, the 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 movies this year, and and I hope people uh, check some of these out, have some transcendent moments with them, and uh, we'll 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 have you back next year to talk about Top Gun. <laughs> thanks, thanks so much we uh we veterans of culture wars have to look out for each other so it's always good to be be with my people thank you all right you, all you right. give me hope <laughs> have a good evening sir you too thank you good night dave movies yes what are they things on a screen moving images i don't get it yeah it's a it's a it's a magic work it's a magic they, work where they, we can... they they show up on my tv and then once a year statues get given out and that's movies yes okay there you go um and there may be a statue given out to don't look up oh my god uh okay <laughs> as a general rule i feel bad bashing something that i have not seen so how about this i will commit to watching it before our next episode and mm. i can let you know what i think at that point okay um i, I mean if, if anything i have very low expectations now which is a perfect situation for being surprised um maybe i'll end up really <laughs> liking it I would like, uh, we got to edit that episode. New number one. Don't look up. <laughs> I, uh, 
You don't see I think that happening? I think you'll give it two stars. That's my prediction. We'll, we'll see what you do. I, I don't give a lot of things two stars. Um, what did I give two stars this year to? I gave two stars. Oh, did I already close it? We, yeah, we brought one up. Um, sorry, we'll have to cut a little bit out. Oh, oh, yeah. Being the Ricardos. <laughs> Being the Ricardos got two stars. And man, I grew up watching I Love Lucy. I'm pretty sure I've seen every episode of I Love Lucy. And I will say, um, J.K. Roll, uh, J.K. Simmons, <laughs> not J.K. Rowling. J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons was very good, um, cool. but nothing else was very good <laughs> in it. And I don't think that Aaron Sorkin is a director. Did he direct that? Yeah, he oh. shouldn't because he's not a director. Do you do you remember what the first thing is that you saw? Um, when when you went back to the theater this year the green knight actually oh okay you know what and funny story because you had projection problems i walked into this movie at our local independent theater sat down i was the only one in the theater they start showing gi joe snake eyes what I, i was i was so confused like it was some kind of nighttime scene and then there was his dad and his son like shooting a laser gun and I'm like, okay, you know, I, I get up, obviously, like, you know, in the first minutes, like, this isn't the Green Knight. So I had to get them to switch the film reel or the digital thing, whatever. And then I got to see it all by myself in the theater. And I and I loved it. Hmm. Well, that is uh, interesting. Uh, yeah, I remember, like, the, the beginning of the trailer for that Snake Eyes movie. I was like, oh, this is going to be like a legit martial arts thing. And and then it revealed itself to be a G.I. Joe movie. I'm like, eh, all right, yeah. well, <laughs> I can't ignore this, I guess. So uh, he, here's yeah. here's a, here's something I was thinking about. Here's something a little deep. I know Jeffrey's already gone, but I'm wondering what your thoughts are on this. Maybe we'll cut this. I don't know. Okay. But uh, this came up in therapy this week. I was thinking about the evangelical fear of art of of real arresting transcendent experiences with art and i was thinking about how the brain works how how people who haven't engaged with art in that way don't really realize that pretty much the same thing is happening in your brain when you're having a a moment of transcendent connection in in church like in a worship service that you do with a work of art um and you know i hear about people leaving church and connecting with art like that for the first time and going, Whoa, like I know this feeling, this is the feeling of communicating with God or whatever. What you know, what's happening in your brain. It's, it's the same sort of thing. Um, And I would, and I'm, I'm wondering if that is why art is dangerous. If, 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 if art threatens the power structures of American religious life and, and the American and the evangelical industrial complex seems to purposely pump out mediocre art, because when, if, if people knew that they could have that same transcendent experience by connecting with art and not by going to church, a lot of people may stop going to church. Maybe Does that makes sense. I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm yeah, not, I don't not like not like it's a big organized thing. Like I don't want to sound like, a, right, like I'm a yeah, conspiracy yeah, yeah. theorist about here. If if there's any truth to it, I I don't think it's I, I don't think it is purposely 
thought or implemented. It's probably like some kind of some kind of subtext. But I think conservative evangelicals, I, I think they long to make art that is quote unquote relevant. You know, but I think there's something within conservatism. It maybe it's a right brain, left brain thing, but it it's all I read something this week and I'm trying to remember what the piece was, but there's so much where it's just it's a narrow view of of reality. Oh, I know what it was. It was this Twitter thread that was talking about. So Pastor Tim Keller put out the Christian Mind Project, a tweet about that, where he was basically stating that he wanted more evangelicals to be educated in elite universities and kind of get this more sophisticated intellectual evangelicalism out there. And people were commenting saying, you know, this has been done before. This is like a trope from modernism because this was Francis Schaeffer's thing in the 1970s when he was writing about, you know, making even. Yeah, I was seeing like, people say that's such a boomer thing to, to want exactly. to, to have the intellectual evangelical. <laughs> right, right. And and so I, I forget her name. Maybe I can link to this in show notes and find it because I, I retweeted it. Um, but she was a, a Christian academic, I believe. And she was basically commenting exactly what you said, but also she was talking about conservatism itself, where you expect people to be intellectual. And if we're talking about art here, circling back around to what you were saying, Zach, artists want to explore and there's wonder and there's kind of like what's going on and let's let's play with the edges and, and be creative kind of thing, imagination. But in the evangelical, conservative evangelical world, it's very much like you know, you're in a box and you have kind of this narrow focus and this narrow thing that you have to do. And it's hard to break out of those, you know, bumpers or barriers. Mm -hmm. And so circling back around to art, I think it's, I think it's difficult to, for contemporary Christian music artists, for one, to break out of that just because of that mentality. You have to, you have to create art for a certain narrow interest. Mm -hmm. And that's why what Jeffrey's saying something, you know, about the lost daughter and how evangelical moms would respond, perhaps negatively, you can see focus on the family, like absolutely slamming that movie, oh, even, sure. though, even though the point of it, it, it's not preachy, it's not saying this is what you should do. It's saying, here's this woman having these experiences. And it gets back to this tension that we all feel, even if we don't make her choices or like her choices. Yeah, and and with, with with that movie, you know, it's. I was just reminded how, like, we kept having to tell ourselves, you know, like, nobody's truly prepared for parenthood. You you can, you can read the books, you can collect the gear, for when the when the kid arrives, but you're never actually ready. Everybody feels that, that insane fear when they leave the hospital, like like they're stealing something <laughs> like you just like, all right, we just, we had this, we've been here for like 48 hours, maybe. And now you're just letting us go with, with, a, with a baby. Like, okay. <laughs> like, like you immediately feel totally unprepared no matter how many classes you did. And, yes. and as, as, as your baby gets older and develops a personality, I, I certainly stopped believing uh, that, uh, 
that nurture determined personality a whole lot compared to nature. Um, <laughs> just seeing how different my kids are from each other and how different they are from me and from my wife and how they can have very strong personalities and be extremely difficult. And yeah. the, the challenge of it was frequently overwhelming. And yeah, and, 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 and in the church world, like, it was pretty much just always talked about as, you know, just the bundles of joy and, and what a, what a gift it is to have kids and how you should have as many as you can. Cause, cause they're all great. And, you know, I, I, I wanted to have three kids. And after two, I was like, it would be immoral to encourage my wife to, to have another, like two was what we could handle. Yeah. Um, we had reached our, our, our breaking point with two. And, um, so I'm glad that we stopped, <laughs> but I, but I, I, I love the two kids that I have. Um, but I, I definitely was able to connect to that part of the movie and, and, and yeah, that's, that's not something that, that I heard that, that, that side of things I didn't heard hear talked about in church much at all, which is, you know, probably why there's, I, I don't think a lot of evangelical moms, uh, enough evangelical moms get help for postpartum depression, you know? That's a whole other topic that <laughs> yeah. go into. But yeah, really, really tough stuff. But yeah, it's there's a lot of things that people don't, it may not just be in the church, but a lot of people don't tell you about in life all the all the downsides or the nuances or the complexity before you have to before you dive into the pool yourself and you have to you have to swim. You just have to do it. And we all um, lie to ourselves. It's, it's it's how yeah. how anybody has a second kid. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> they, they have to like kind of block out like yeah. how incredibly difficult it was, how the sustained lack of sleep for weeks and weeks at the beginning just totally wrecks. Oh yeah, you. oh yeah, um, that, absolutely. <laughs> well, I I was an only child, so I the motivation for me is I did not want my daughter to be an only child. Right. And it's not like my experience was bad. I think I just look at my life and things that I dealt with and I'm like, you know, um, yeah, I, that's a whole other conversation, but that was the motivation. And Michelle was obviously completely on board and we're just like, we definitely want to have two. So right. that's what we did. But Anyways, on that note, we should probably wrap this up. Uh, this has been another episode of Veterans of Culture Wars Talking Movies. Thank you so much for listening to us. Please leave us a rating and a review wherever you get podcasts as that helps others find our show. You can look us up on Twitter at Pod is our show Twitter. I am at Dave J. Lester. Zach is at Muzak, M-U-Z-A-C-H. And he has... Uh, here we go. Okay, uh, the studio, I love you, and Cameron Crow and uh, Tom <laughs> Sorry, sorry, sorry. You know the 30 seconds. Oh, yeah. There we go. Okay. Um, <laughs> visit Zach's uh, website, musac.bandcamp.com. Uh, music and logo by Zach. And I was saying at the beginning, I have met Kubi Gooding Jr. in downtown Spokane, probably like 2005 or something. He was filming some direct-to-video at that time, uh, Endgame or something. But he was very friendly with us. We tried to take a picture with him, early cell phone technology, or no, uh, 
I had a digital camera, but it was out of, uh, it, 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 was, it wasn't charged. And so we tried to take the picture, it didn't work, and he said something like, ain't that a bitch? <laughs> so it was kind of, you know, he was a friendly guy. He was fun. Well, um, I've never met Cuba Gooding Jr., but I have been to Spokane. <laughs> Next time I go, I'll be on the lookout. Um, thanks, yeah, everyone, for, for coming down to the VCW. Um, I haven't looked at the schedule for next week, um, but I think the potluck is coming up in two weeks. Um, <laughs> this, this episode's got a long time. This is a long one. Yeah. Um, yeah. The podcast is free, but you still got to tie 10%. Long. I can not look up. <laughs> All right. The meteor is coming. Goodbye, everybody.